take your Bibles again to Second Corinthians, this section, chapters 8 and 9, as we have previously discussed, deal with the second major issue that the Apostle Paul had with the church at Corinth. The first major issue was their departure from the from the plain principles of of, of uh, holiness, and it was causing division in the church, and they were overlooking some major sins, and besides other problems that that uh, Paul deals with in in the book of First Corinthians, and when he settled that, and the major concern that Paul had was Titus and would what report would Titus give about uh, that letter that he wrote to them to correct these issues and so he met up with Titus and Titus gave a good report God had worked in their hearts and Paul was rejoicing in that and so he closes that portion of this book then and now, now he turns his attention to the second major, his second major issue and that that's their failure to follow through with a promise that they had made a year ago, as he writes here, a year previous to that, that they would send a generous offering to help the needy saints in Judea. The persecuted believers there in Judea were facing some horrible situation because of the of a, a drought that had uh, gripped that region. And Paul took it upon himself here to, well, I think directed of the Lord. It wasn't just Paul Paul's decision. He took it upon him himself uh, as directed by the Lord to raise an offering to relieve the, the needy saints of Jerusalem. There's a little background here that we need to understand, and that is the uh, animosity that the Jews had for the Gentiles created a, a, an atmosphere in which the Gentiles were not too willing to help the Jews. Well, that animosity has never gone away. And, it, and it's due to the fact that God said, I'm going to choose out of the nations, 52 nations that God established after the, after the uh, uh, destruction of the Tower of of Babel and one of those he he left those nations to this under the the care of the of one of the watchers the sons of God according to to Deuteronomy chapter 38 but one of those nations he kept for himself Jacob and because of that, there has been hostility in the world between the Gentile peoples and the Jewish nation that God chose for himself, although the Jewish nation itself was a very rebellious people. So, and it even showed itself up in the churches. Uh, you'll recall when Peter, there in the book of Acts, when Peter went to the house of Cornelius to preach the gospel there. He came back to Jerusalem to give a report and was met with severe criticism. How is it that you are a Jew and you have gone and eaten with uh, Gentiles? Don't you know that's against the rules? You don't do that. 
And Peter said, hey, I want to tell you something. What happened in the house of Cornelius was a replication of that that happened on the day of Pentecost. While he's preaching, the Holy Spirit of God fell on those people. He said, there is no difference. And Paul emphasizes that in Ephesians. There's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. And particularly with respect to the church of God. We are one in Jesus Christ. There's no distinction. Spiritually. No, nobody has a upper hand. Not male or female. Not bond or slave and, and free man. Not Jew or Gentile. So, there was, here was, here was a situation now with, because of this Jewish animosity toward the Gentiles and the Gentiles coming into the gospel. And Paul had a, a, a lot of that issue in his own ministry. As you can read there from the book of Acts, when he came to Jerusalem, man, how hostile the Jews were toward, toward him that he had abandoned the faith. And had uh, and now was trying to to convert Gentiles. These unclean dogs. But what happened? The grace of God in the hearts of the people of God. The Gentile churches looked upon the need of these Jewish believers. And had great compassion for them. Oh, this that that's a refreshing thing. But here's a church that, uh, because of their problems, had uh, kind of uh, neglected this collection for the saints. And now Paul needed to remind them, "Hey, you promised. Let's see it through." The first cha- and the first verses of chapter nine, they had committed themselves to the project. There in verse two, notice it says, "For I know your readiness, which I boasted about you to the people of Macedonia." Remember the people of Macedonia. We looked at that back in the early verses of, of eight. These people, because of heavy persecution and their extreme poverty, Paul says, "Hey." You know, you guys don't have to do this. The churches of Philippi, and uh, uh, there, and Thessalonica. He says you don't have to do this because of the condition, the the hardships that you are now under. And they said, "Oh no, 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 Paul, don't say that. We want to do this out of their extreme poverty, but their love for Jesus Christ." They were willing of themselves. And Paul said yes and beyond themselves. They were willing. Now one thing that I, I really think that's important for us to understand is. That I'm not, I'm not preaching this message this morning about the necessity of giving. That's the theme. There's clearly the theme here in this passage. 
But one of the great mistakes that we have is that somehow giving is uh, is one of those things that we we really don't like people asking for money. And churches are often criticized because well they just they just want money. They're just looking for money. They pass that offering plate around. They're just and making that appeal. Hey, we need we got bills to pay. We need money. A long time ago, I'd settled this issue. In fact, if you'll notice, we never pass a bill. We never pass a plate. We got a couple of boxes in the back there that you can put your contributions in. But and I never, I I, I never mention it. I'm mentioning it now, but I usually do not mention it. And you know what? God takes care of us. He's taken care of us wonderfully. Does that mean you shouldn't give? Oh, no. I think giving is a proof of your salvation. I've watched over the years people and their giving. And I can just about guarantee you that people who don't give really have never been saved. People who, who are genuinely born again are people who are generous in their natures. Like the churches of Macedonia. When they saw the need, the Lord laid it upon their hearts to give and then in spite of the fact of their hardship and their own poverty, they were willing of themselves. Paul said, then they went beyond themselves. See, because it was a proof of their genuineness of their spiritual life. And, and, and we see that at the end of uh, verse number 8, or chapter number 8, verse 24, where Paul says, So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Their love, their love for Jesus Christ and their love for the brethren. If you love me, Jesus says, you're going to love my, my, the rest of your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a proof of the genuineness of your salvation. The problem with us, the problem with most people is they love themselves. Salvation is a deliverance from self. So we stop loving ourselves and we start loving Christ. And how can I love Christ? I love Christ by loving those who love Christ with me. And when I love Christ, I give. What do I give? Myself. Romans 12.1 I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. You know, Paul, Paul said your, your bodies, and he's, he's using sacrificial, the sacrificial system there as, the, as kind of the illustration of this. The offering of a lamb or the offering of, of a turtle dove or something like that in the, t- in the temple. Poor, very poor people offered uh, birds 
the those who had had more offered lambs and books uh, even. But offering of a body of an animal as a picture of Christ giving himself for us. Christ offered himself. He came in human form, in a body, and offered himself on the cross. That's a, You talk about a gift. There's a gift. And that gift was in order that I might have eternal life. Now Paul said, Here's your, now it's your turn. If the God has worked that grace in you, you need to give. And what do you give? You give your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your service of worship. You know what that means? That means everything. I own nothing. Whatever I have belongs to God. And if God lays it on my heart to give something that I cherish to somebody else, I better be willing to obey God and give it. Because it's obedience. It's an issue of obedience. In fact, the whole thing of, of the Corinthians is a matter of obedience. Did they obey with respect to his rules and regulations? No. Were, were they obeying with respect to their loving one another? In fact, they, there was division in the church. That's, that's, a, that's a bad sign. And you, you can understand then why Paul was so anxious. Why he was fearful. Have I labored in vain? Have I spent my time for nothing? So, boy, when he got that report of Titus, you can imagine how the cartwheels he did. Oh, his heart was filled with, with blessing. And now he turns around and he's telling them, hey, now I want to see really how this works out for you with respect to this offering. And the interesting thing is Paul said here here's what here's one of the here's one of the great problems here in, in verses two and three of uh, the ninth chapter. He says of which right there in the middle of uh, just uh, it says for I know of your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia that Achaia that's Greece, that's lower Greece there, which includes Corinth, was ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. So I, I was bragging about you people. I said, boy, these folks over there in Corinth, they're ready to give a gift. And they, they're going to give a big gift. Oh, okay. Well, Paul, we want to help you out too. No, Paul says, I, you guys, you're 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 the ones who have a need of somebody. No, 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 Paul, we want to give. And then Paul turns to the Corinthians and, where's your gift? I don't see anything because the failure of their commitment would cause Paul shame. 
not to speak of them not to speak of their own situation there which you see there in verse number four otherwise if some macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident so this is a this is a major concern to paul how are you demonstrating your love for Christ? How are you demonstrating your obedience to Christ? I should go back. We didn't really cover the uh, verses uh, 16 through 24 of the 8th chapter. And I, and I've, I thought I, at least I'll touch upon them uh, this, this morning because I think it's important to see this. And I, if you'll pardon me, I'm going to read them. But thanks be to God who put the same into the heart of Titus, the same earnest care I have for you. Now let me explain here that he's not now talking about uh, Titus's burden for the, for the church that was equal to Paul's burden for the church, but that was true. But he's talking here specifically in this scenario of the giving. And God is going to use Titus and others. In fact, he mentions another. He says, For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going uh, to you of his own accord. In other words, he's not doing this because I'm pushing him. He's doing this because God is working in him too. And he's doing it of his own accord. With him... We, notice, we are sending, and here again, uh, I, I think Paul is using we uh, here in the sense that uh, he wants to take, take the emphasis off of himself personally. So he's, he's using this editorial we, and he's speaking of himself. I am sending a brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And that would be Apollos. Apollos had ministered also, had preached there in Corinth. He was a, a Jew that had been uh, uh, preaching what he understood of the gospel. And Priscilla and Aquila got a hold of him and said, Hey, uh, wh what do you understand? He, he understood about the baptism of John. So they, they more thoroughly educated him in the gospel of Christ. And God greatly used this man in the churches. So he's speaking here of Apollos. And not only that, but he also appointed uh, was appointed by the churches. Notice, he was appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our good will. Notice, to show our goodwill. Paul says, we want, the, we want these Jewish believers, many of whom were hostile to Gentiles, we want them to understand the love we have for them in spite of their animosity. Then verse 20 says, and we take this course... and." And there's, there's two principles here that uh, 
that we need to see. The first principle is why the, the Corinthians had to give this offering. Why they must do it. Because they promised it, see? And that uh, Paul was counting on them. They had, they had to keep their promise and they had to uh, do such on this uh, obligation on the equality here. So now, Paul, he, the purpose of God then in sending Titus was to make this clear to them. And then we come to the second major point here, and that is why the Corinthians had, could trust Paul with the offering. You know, here this is an interesting thing. I get, I get sometimes calls from various people and that want they want you to uh, uh, support their cause over the telephone. And the first thing I do is I tell them, I'm going to explain something to you right now. I never give my, I never give a credit card information to anyone over the phone who calls me. I don't know who you are. <laughs> Now, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to, if, if, you, if you're interested in a gift from me, please send me a request in the mail and include with that request and how you spend it. How much goes to administrative costs and how much to the cause you're supporting. It is a, it's very interesting to me how many people just hang up on me. <laughs> you know there are there are some name I could <laughs> there's some causes that I could name that everybody looks at oh that'd be, that's a great that's a they, they do a great work check their administrative costs their their top people live in beautiful homes with great salaries drive expensive cars and they want you to give and then a small portion of your gift goes to the to the charity that they're directing, but the rest of it goes to their ex luxurious living. I'm not going to do it. Sorry. I'm not going to do it. And sadly, we have a lot of Christians that are that organizations that do the same thing. Christian organizations. I see it all the time. There's an advertisement comes up on on uh, the computer there, and with the advertising of the thing, and give. I'm sorry, I don't do that. <laughs> you see, I believe God requires full accountability for His people, honesty, and accountability. And that's what the principle that Paul uses here in the in the next verses, beginning here with verse eight, uh, 18, but I already read that. I'm going to go to verse 20. We take this course, and notice this, what he says here, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. Now, blame here is, means accuse us of wrongdoing. Uh, I don't really like the translation blame here, but it's the idea of accusing us of wrongdoing in our administration of the gift. So Paul says we want to be honest and we want to be trans completely transparent 
So we're going to make sure that you know that your gift is going to go for what it was intended to, to go for and that none of us are going to be like Judas and help ourselves to the offering. So, and so he says then, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Transparency. Our books are open in this church. You want to know where our money goes? That's why we try to give a monthly report and, and let you know where the money is being spent. We're not hiding anything. We're an open book. We want God to be honored and glorified. And we want to make sure that nobody is going to point the finger and accuse us. That preacher, and there's a lot of them, television preachers, big preachers in big churches, that, uh, man, they are living luxuriously. They own multiple homes and fly, have their own private jets to fly around with. But they want you to give. For what? For their lifestyle. That's sin. And one of these days, they're going to have to stand before a holy God and Jesus Christ who gave himself. And I have to explain why they lived the way they lived. So then, then notice, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but in the sight of man. And with them, we and here's how we are going to show our transparency. With them we're sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, and who is uh, more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. And I, I think it's a reference to Titus here. Titus is honest. He's an honorable man. So for as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. He lives for you. That's hard. When you give your life for others, that's hard. Especially when you are disappointed so many times. You don't know how many times I, I've gotten to the point where I was ready to throw in the towel and say, it's not worth it. Then I'm reminded of Jeremiah. He felt that way too. What good is it? Nobody listens to me. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire. And it couldn't refrain. Titus. He cares for you. He loves you. He's more interested in your wealth, spiritual welfare than he is in his own affairs. And he's willing to give himself sacrificially so that God will be glorified and you will be helped. 
he's my partner and fellow worker for for your benefit and at, and and as for our brothers they are messengers of the churches <laughs> yeah it's not them it's the church it's it's the church and how it is perceived and testified to the world and jesus said i'm going to build my church it's it's his it belongs to christ it's not mine it's not it's not not anybody else's for the glory he says of christ so then verse number 24 and here's this this is the stinger right here so give proof before the churches of your love for Christ and your brethren in Christ and of our boasting about you to these men. What are you going to do? Are you genuinely born again of the Spirit of God? Then follow through with your promise. Because that's a testimony of whether or not you've really genuinely been born again. Many people argue about tithing. They said, should, well, should we tithe? Tithing is 10%. People look at tithing and they say, wow, that's 10% of my income. And in these days, with the price of gas and all, 10% is a lot of money. You know, you don't find that in the New Testament at all. It, people try to say, well, what is, what, what, what is God's standard for giving? How much should Christians give? You know what, you know what the answer is? Everything. <laughs> Your wallet doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And if he wants some of your money, give it to him. Because we're his instruments for the propagation of the of the gospel in the world. I was doing a little study there in uh, Malachi. Malachi is an interesting book. Paul says, will a man rob God? I don't know how many messages I've heard on that, but I've preached them myself. Will a man rob God? And the Jews asked, well, how have we robbed you? And God's answer was, in tithes and offerings. Oh, God wants tithes and offerings. <laughs> Free will offerings. And as I pointed out, tithing, really, tithing was almost 30% of their, or their income. The word tithe means a tenth. <laughs> but uh, the, way that, the way it works out with God is that tenth is kind of tripled. <laughs> But it's tithes and, and offerings. But you know what? That's not the point. And I, I, I saw that for the first time and I said, I, this, is, this is a revelation. What was the first thing God said to them? Return to me with all your heart. And here's how you're going to demonstrate that to me. You're robbing me. Well, how have we robbed you? 
in tithes and offerings. You know what he was what he was really doing there? He's getting to the issue of how the Jews handled the situation. And in Jesus' day, it had gotten even worse. The, priest, the, the priestly class that was ruling in the temple were making lots of money because of the tithes of the people of God. We find early in the history of Israel, they neglected in Josiah's day, he, he looked at the temple and said, man, that thing needs an overhaul. So he started collecting money. And then when they, got, when they were collecting money for, to repair the temple, see, they completely neglected it because of their idolatry. And so as they're cleaning up the place, it kind of reminds me of my basement. <laughs> they found a copy of the scriptures. And when they found the copy of the scriptures, they read the they read. And in, and isn't it amazing? Here's the king of Israel, and he's listening to the to the first five books of Moses read to him, and he's never heard it before in his life. And he's shocked at what he's reading, and he wept and tore his clothes. See, this is this is what this is what we're talking about here too. The principles that God lays out in His Word for us, and so for the for the sake of time, we need to move along here, and and we get into this ninth chapter. And I would divide the ninth chapter into into three basic points here. The first one is the principles that are. And, uh, that are stressed here, and uh, I'm not going to read the ninth chapter over again. But, but uh, the principles that are stressed here, and, and and particularly in verse number six there, which sums up the point. The point is this: <laughs> Paul said, here, "Here, this is what I'm getting at. This is the point. Here's where I'm getting to. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully." will also reap bountifully. Uh, that's a principle. And what is he telling believers? God's not putting an obligation on you as, as to the amount of, of what you should give. You should give yourself. But then what do you do with your money? How do you give of your money? Should you tithe? Well, even in the Old Testament scriptures, it was tithes and offerings, as we pointed out. So, what is the principle? What do you want to see happen? Here is a basic principle of farming. Boy, the farmer says, this seed is expensive. And I've got so many acres out here, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be too generous with my seeds. Well, what happens at the harvest? Not going to get too much harvest either. Here's the principle. You sow generously, you reap generously. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. I remember when I was a boy, I worked with our neighbor across the street there had a, a lawn business. We didn't, we didn't 
put rolls of lawn down the way they do today. We did it by hand. We tilled up the soil, got it ready. Then we went out there and we they had a, they had broadcasters. They had little cans that you could put seed in. But I I like to do it myself. Reach in that feel that grass seed in my hand there and then scatter it on the lawn. You know, I I, I learned and my boss was very careful about it. Be generous. Because when that grass starts sprouting up, if you've kind of been chintz, chintzy on the grass seed, you're not going to hit the grass. The lawn's not going to look too good. Uh-uh. I learned to be generous. And that's kind of, sowing is, that's how they did it. They would, they did it with their hands. Sack on their, uh, on their shoulder and reach into that sack and grab the seed, <laughs> scatter the seed. And you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. But you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. That's the first point. And that's what he was trying, he was appealing to them. Look at the Macedonians, how, how their heart craves to be as generous as they can be, even though they are in poverty. But you, you made a promise a year ago, and I don't see a thing. And you people are wealthy. Where's your faith? Where's your obedience? And the second principle is, is found then in uh, verses 8 through 11, which is the power of grace. And here again, this is a grace issue. Giving. Grace, as I've pointed out, is rooted in the term give, to give. So verse 8, God is able to make all grace, this is one of my, has been one of my favorite verses through the years. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you, that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Notice, every good work. Grace. Grace is rooted in the word to give. God's a giver. He's a generous giver. He didn't hold back. In fact, he gives us a quotation here from the scriptures in uh, uh, let me find it again. Psalm, yeah, here it is. Psalm 112, verse 9. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. God's giver. He didn't hold back. Jesus Christ is a giver. He didn't hold back. And if you belong to God and Jesus Christ, you're going to become, you're going to start taking on their character, which means you are going to be also a free giver. And then he speaks of the power of this grace because this is what we rely on. Our giving is not out of ourselves. It is out of His work in us. And notice what God does. And he explains that in verse 10. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. 
Trust him. I, re I recall many times, you know, in my younger days when giving was a, was a real issue. We were very poor. But we did it anyway. Out of obedience. But you know what? God never failed us. Not ever once did he ever fail us to meet our needs. Even when we didn't have anything. I, we wondered, you know, when we first moved to Minneapolis, I'll never forget, we were standing in, a, in the, uh, uh, the, what was the owl, uh, yeah, huh? red owl, yeah, red owl, like Safeway here, it's a red owl, grocery market and we had our little basket and man I'll tell you we were very skimpy about you know very tight about what we were going to spend our money on because we didn't have a lot of money and here's this gal in front of us she's just piling all these goodies on her bas in, out of the basket then and she handed them a welfare card <laughs> uh, she could leave, and then she carried it out and put it in a Cadillac I said, that, isn't, that, isn't that something? And I thought to myself at the time, but I, but Lord, you always, thank you, Lord, you always take care of us. I may not be driving a Cadillac, but you always take care of us. You always do. And that's what it says here. He'll, he's going to supply you. And then notice verse the consequence of that in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. In other words, God is going to be good to you so that you will be good with respect to the ministry of this service and supplying the needs of the saints so that it overflows, overflows. I like that. And many thanksgivings to God. That's the, that's the, the result of it. That's what God, the end, that's the end game right there. What does God want? He wants praise and thanksgiving to flow from our lips because of His generosity and then His generosity is expressed through us to other saints who then rejoice in the greatness and goodness of God and are, thank and are full of thanksgiving and praise to Him. Yeah. Yeah. So this, that's the enrichment of the service and, then we, and, and the enrichment of God's glory. So let me finish this up. For the ministry of this service is not only to supply the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God by their approval of this service. And they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. See that? That's what it's all about. And the, and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you. That brother... There's a brother up in Pakistan that we, we've helped. 
and his letters back to me are full of this right here. Oh, we love you. Oh, we're so excited for you. And they pray for us because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And then Paul concludes with this just eruption of glorious I mean I can I can imagine his as he's writing this and he's thinking about it and tears come to his eyes and he says oh thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift what makes it all possible what makes all of this possible is the inexpressible gift of Jesus Christ Father, you are glorified in our subjection to the gospel and you're glorified in, in our generosity of giving and you're glorified in the grace that has makes it all possible and that is most fully visualized in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Father, as we come before you, we ask you that you might work in our hearts this grace so that we understand that to love others as we love ourselves means caring for them, even to personal sacrifice if necessary. Even for our own children, we would be willing to, to give our own lives for their welfare. So it is, Lord, that we should be willing to give our lives for the welfare of other of the children of God. Lord, what a, what a tremendous passage. And we ask God that you would enable us to become cheerful givers. Cheerful givers. And we'll praise you in his name. Amen.